My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad to see you guys with us this morning. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 15, but only for a handful of more weeks, so we are quickly coming to the end of 15, and then everybody knows what's after 15. 16, and uh, what's after 16 is a surprise, so you'll have to wait. Uh, But we are in Mark chapter 15, so if you want, we will flip over there and uh, go ahead and read through our text. Uh, We'll read all of Mark chapter 15, and then we'll pick up uh, around verse 26, which is is really where we left off uh, at the end of last week. So, Mark chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And again, Pilate asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that it was in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who also himself was looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mark chapter 15. So good morning to those of you that are online with us. Thanks for being with us. And uh, this morning is week 157 in our series in Mark. Uh, And we are, I believe, Lord willing, 10 lessons away from finishing. I told that to Brian this morning. He's like, what? You're almost in single digits? I'm like, yes, we're almost in single digits. So here we go. So last week, we left off with it was the third hour in verse 25 when they crucified him. And we talked a little bit about math because we're going to talk a little bit about math. And uh, what time of day was that? Do we, do we believe? We understand the third hour of the day was what? 9 a.m., right. It would have been about 9 a.m. And, uh, and we'll talk... Lord willing, next week, a little bit about Mark and his timekeeping, but I don't want to get too far into that, but this would have been morning-ish, and then verse 26, we start to get into some of the tactical, uh, it's almost a a visual picture that Mark is painting for us of what the, someone who was near the cross would have seen. So verse 26, and the inscription of the charge against him and if, if you're aware of this, great. If you're not aware of this, but uh, it was required by Roman law if you were going to crucify someone that the reason for their crucifixion be displayed. And typically what would happen is they would put this on some type of a string or some type of a rope and hang it around the accused neck while the accused was carrying the pablum, the, the, big, the cross beam at the top, to the place of their crucifixion so that it was this disgraceful, visible, public, right? Because they didn't... It wasn't like uh, you could follow Rome's Twitter account and see who was being crucified that day. You, know, you, you had to be there. You had to be aware of who was there and could see what was going on. And the other interesting thing, it was actually required by Jewish law at this point in time that it be publicly displayed and shown exactly what, um, what the issue was. So the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. 
the king of the Jews. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is absolutely a true statement. So we're going to start, we've been putting our toe in the water of these true statements that uh, those that do not believe that are around Jesus make about him. Uh, and we saw one of these back in, uh, actually, we, in, in John chapter 11. I'll flip over there for just a second for you. Uh, Caiaphas. Uh, I don't know if you knew that uh, Caiaphas actually did some prophecy work on the side. Uh, but John eleven forty five. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. John puts a really fine point on the whole political concern that the, the leaders had. Verse 49, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Uh, my grandfather would say, even a blind squirrel stumbles upon a nut once in a while. Right? The, and the, the text goes on, says, uh, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. <laughs> there, there was lots, other, lots of other things going on behind the scenes. So when we see this statement, the king of the Jews, just understand Mark's not doing this accidentally. He's doing this very intentionally to say, hey, there's other things that are coming in. When I, when I read through Mark 15 just a second ago, was there any other statement made by someone who was near the cross that was a true statement. Yeah, the centurion, right? What did he say? Sure, this is the Son of God, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, I don't know if you, I, I, I didn't take the time to look up the reference. I should have. Apologies for that. But um, there's a section of scripture that basically, I'll, I'll paraphrase, if, if we remain quiet, the rocks themselves will cry out. Well, every once in a while, the pagans will too. You know. Yes, ma'am. Sure. John 11, uh, 45 through 53. If you think Mark deals uh, bluntly, we'll put it bluntly, with the religious elite, uh, put your seatbelts on for what John does. <laughs> uh, John just beats them to death the entire time. All right, so the king of the Jews. Now, one of the things that, uh, that is interesting about this text is the king of the Jews is... Actually, I'm going to get to that in a second. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. All right, let's go to verse 27. And with him they crucified two robbers. Now, uh, much has been said about the two robbers. Much has been said about whether they were thieves or robbers or what their crime was or this and that and the other. Um, a helpful text for me on this was actually Josephus who uses this Greek word, lestes, for uh, robbers associated with insurrections throughout the various periods of Jewish revolt. And we talked about this several months ago, maybe a month or so ago, about the, the insurrection and the revolt, and the insurrection and the revolt, and the insurrection and the revolt, right? You'd have this crushing 
oppression by Rome and the insurrectionists would rise up. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Simon the Zealot, he was, like you, you, we translated today, would say Simon the terrorist. Um, so with him were crucified two robbers. Now the fact that Barabbas was in prison and you've got two robbers that by, by grammar, by grammatical association would have been loosely connected with insurrectionists, they very easily could have known each other, could have been part of the same gang, part of the same uh, uh, effort uh, to usurp Roman authority. Uh, but, but Robert, theft and robbery was actually not a crucifiable offense in Rome, which is a bit of a problem because why were they being crucified? So it, it begs the question, it feels like there was something else going on here other than them just robbing. Now, uh, there is a legal distinction between theft and robbery. So theft is if I take something from you, but you don't have to be involved in it. Robbery is when I take something off of you, and I may threaten you in the process and put your physical life, your, your health and safety at risk. So think about robbery as being mugged, and think about theft as having your house broken into while you were on vacation. Two, like, it still involves, I'm going to take something, but one is a bit more direct, a bit more like, whoa, that's a much more bold than the other is. So these are two robbers. Now, the other time this word is used in Mark's gospel, there's actually two other times, but one is talking about the money changers in the temple because they were robbing the people, right? They were charging excess fees to convert currency into a temple currency that could be accepted by the priests and then be accepted by, uh, to be able to purchase animals for worship. Which I think is an interesting way that Mark uses this word. Right? So Jesus, when he's in the temple, is surrounded by robbers. And Jesus, when he's on the cross, is surrounded by robbers. And Jesus, in other Gospels, is actually talked about in a negative way because who he surrounds himself with, right? So he was not really at any point in his life shying away, even to the, in the last moments of his life, he wasn't shying away from being associated with those who were on the lower end of either the legal or the societal scale. Perhaps a lesson for us to learn here. So uh, they crucified him, uh, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Do you remember the last time in Mark where we talked about one on my right, one on my left? What was this? James and John asking about, in your glory, I want to be one on your left, one on, who will sit at your right and your left? See how Mark ties the language here? So I want to I pause here for just a second because I want to make sure what we, what we don't miss. Um, if we go to Galatians 6.14. So Galatians would have been written a few decades after Mark, or at least a decade and a half or so several decades after Jesus' crucifixion. 
Galatians 6, 14, this is Paul writing. He says, but far be it from me to boast or to brag, or even the, the word is actually translated to glory and elsewhere, the glory el- except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we go back to Mark 10, verse 40, where Jesus is talking about his right and his left, Verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. Jesus is actually displaying his glory on the cross here, which I think is an incredible thing. And we'll get into this a little bit more a little later on in this morning's lesson. But I don't want us to miss this connection between this right and the left and the glory where Jesus will be and the question that he was answering back in 1040 and where he actually shows up on the right and the left in 15. So then we come to three groups. Uh, and if you, if you read even the most basic commentary about Mark, you're going to, be talk, you're going to they're going to talk to you about the three groups of uh, mockers at the cross. So the first group that we're introduced to is in verse 29. And this is those who passed by. So if, if you have a physical location where people are able to pass by, what does that imply to you about where that location is? It's a public place, right? This is not, we didn't, we are not crucifying Jesus uh, inside the Holy of Holies. We're not crucifying Jesus inside the palace itself. We are, he's outside Immediately out, we think, immediately outside the, the gates of the city, up on a little hill, Golgotha. So these are the people who just passed by. So look at, the, look at the Greek word here for what they did to him. They derided him. What's the Greek word? Blasphemo. They blasphemed him. It's plural and perfect, so this happened many times. It's so sad, right? It's so incredibly sad. Yes, Dave? So what time of year was it? Oh, it was just before Passover. So you got everybody coming into town. Tens and tens of thousands of people coming into Jerusalem. To celebrate being a Jew. Yes. And the person on the cross says being a Jew. Yes. So you've got tens of thousands of people coming in. And Golgotha is on the opposite side of the city than the temple. So you'd come in one side, you'd go out the other side. So as they're leaving, they're going to see... What's going on? This would have been a lot of passers-by, 
right? Remember when we level set and we talked about how many guards were with Jesus when they were flogging? There were 600. Now, I don't know what your mindset was. This, this would not have been, oh, there were, there were eight or ten people that, no, no. And this, he was on the cross for multiple hours. This would have been plenty of time for thousands of people to have passed by and seen what was going on. So I don't know what kind of model you have in your head, but this is not a, like, oh, there were 20 of it. No, no, no. Many, many, many witnesses to this. So those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Remember Psalm 12? We read last week. They were wagging their heads, saying, aha. All right, so I got to tell you a funny story here real quick. Has anybody watched Resident Alien? Have you seen this TV show? It's on sci-fi? Yes. I think it's absolutely hilarious. So the, the concept of Resident Alien is there's an, there's an alien who takes up residence in a small town in Alaska, and he learns the English language by watching reruns of Law and Order. So when he thinks something is really funny, he'll go, dun, dun, dun. You know, it's like, that's just wonderful. But... But all of his mannerisms and his actions are exceedingly awkward, and he's trying to fit in. So sometimes when he laughs, he'll go, ha, 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 ha. And you're like, that's just weird, man. <laughs> and it's Alan Tudyk who plays the alien. So he's just a shockingly hilarious human being to begin with. But this Greek word, ua, actually sounds like it's translated in English, uh, is as close as you can get in Greek to just pure, unadulterated sarcasm. Like, this is just, this is sarcasm extraordinaire. It's like, aha! <laughs> and it reminds me of the resident alien guy. And so this is, this is how my brain works. So there you go. All right. So, aha! You who would destroy the temple. Did Jesus say he would destroy the temple? Well... If I'm, being, if I'm having a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, that doesn't believe that he's the son of God, and they say something grossly incorrect about the Bible, one of the things that I might say is, well, that's one way to look at that. Let's look at what some of the rest of the Bible says about that and help see kind of what the whole thing says here, right? So that's, that's one way to look at that. I don't know that it's a very healthy way to look at it. And rebuild it in three days. Now... Do you see the irony of using that quote at that time? Because what's he about to do? That. <laughs> like, you got the timing spot on, and you completely missed every part of the significance and the meaning. And God, help us to not do the same. God, help us not to so understand the individual words and to miss the overall messages here. Because that, that to me is terrifying as a teacher. Absolutely terrifying. All right, so verse 30, save yourself and come down from the cross. So let me ask you a question. And I want you to think about this for 10 seconds before anybody answers, okay? Could Jesus have come down? So think about it for 10 seconds before you answer could Jesus have come down from the cross? Think about it. Think about it. Think about, if you say yes, what does that imply? If you say no, what does that imply? Could Jesus have, is Jesus holy? Yes. 
Holiness means he's going to perfectly fulfill the will of his father. Yes? Yes. The will of his father was for him to die on the cross. Yes? Yes. Could Jesus... Woo! Going to make your brain hurt here. We're not going to answer that question. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Because what was the cross? The cross was the most humiliating public form of execution that the Romans had. You're totally nude. You're struggling to breathe. You're put in a public place. It's thousands of people walking by. It's not something that's associated with popularity and glory and positive. Like, there's no... Like, when a, when a Roman judge would condemn someone, many times they would even avoid saying the word cross because it was a dirty word in public. Like, if you know a middle school boy, they have lots of words for certain bodily functions. It's that kind of, like, you wouldn't say that in public, right? And that's just not what you're going to say. They would say, hang him on the unlucky tree. They wouldn't say, put him on the cross. You just you say that word in polite company, right? This is not what you do. This is, how, this is how the cross was associated. So save yourself from the cross and come down. If Jesus had come down, this book, it's interesting history. Right? Because it's no longer about the one who gave everything to obey the Father's will. It's no longer about the one who sacrificed himself to die for us, for our sins. It's no longer about the one who took all of the Father's wrath and there's none left for us. If Jesus comes down from the cross, that means there's wrath left for us. There is part of that cup back in Mark 14 that is still undrunk. Verse 31, second group. So also the chief priests, this is the plural, so this is the group of chief priests, with the scribes. So now we've got the religious elite here. Second group is the religious elite. So the chief priests with the scribes mocked him. And this is a present active participle. So again, repeatedly, actively, this took a while. They mocked him. This, exact, this is actually the exact same word used in Mark 15, 20 to describe what the soldiers did. So the religious elite are behaving just like pagan Roman soldiers. And I will, I will give us a, a caution. When our actions, as those of us who believe to be Christians, those of us who believe we, believe we are Christians, mimic pagan actions, we need to pump the brakes really, really hard and check ourselves against the truth of the Scripture. Right? So we see the, the second group doing exactly what the Roman soldiers did. So they mocked him to one another. So there's the kicker. They're not necessarily mocking Jesus directly. Right? Ooh, ooh, the slander, the inappropriate, it's just, this is not good. This is not good. Saying, and the saying is imperfect, so they're repeatedly saying this, he saved others. Now, I'm going to take a pause here for just a second. Do you notice the indicative there for the saved? They believed it to be true. 
because there wasn't any actual argument made with the works that Jesus did. They were demonstrably true. You couldn't argue with, well, dude's not lame anymore, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> uh, Uncle Joe, he, he can see now. <laughs> he, like, you, you couldn't argue with his works. He saved others. And then their theology just drops off a cliff, right? He cannot save himself. Um, and I would say there's a sense in which that's actually true because he didn't come for his self to be saved. One, Jesus never sinned, so he didn't need a savior. He was the savior. So let's be super clear about that. But two, he's accomplishing the work of a savior, which is not to be saved. It is to do the saving. Boy, they got, they, this is one of the weirdest sentences in Mark's gospel because it starts off so amazing and then just is, it's like kamikaze into the ground, awful. So verse 32, let the Christ, the king of what? Israel. Oh, time out, time out, time out. What have we heard beaten into us so many times so far in, in Mark chapter 15? The king of what? The Jews. It's the king of the Jews. King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Yes. That's the Roman way to say that. The Jewish way to say that is the king of Israel. Because the nation of Israel was not defined as Jewish. They were defined as Israel. So this is the Israeli way to say, this is the Jew, which is ironic. The Jewish way to say uh, this is not to say Jew. <laughs> the Jewish way to say it is to say Israel. So you see, when they're having private conversations, they're not using the pagans' words. They're using their own language, which even goes a little farther into they said amongst themselves. All right, so they said, The king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. This, this language reminds me of Luke 16, where, the, um, where Lazarus, goes and the rich man pleads with Abraham send send some to go tell my brothers because if they saw if they saw they would they would believe and Abraham's like they have on the prophets they, they should believe them right it's not this wasn't going to the, the funny thing is the, the morphology here is they're the may see and the may believe are both in the subjunctive. So they're, they're pretending like they actually would, like it's a real possibility. And in fact, they, they absolutely would not. They've been harassing and haranguing Jesus for years, following very, very closely exactly what he was doing, everything that he was doing, and they still didn't believe. If you're not going to believe when Lazarus comes walking out of the grave, what else do you need to see? Right? I mean, it's just the evidence had mounted up so unbelievably high. Like, this is not a genuine statement. And then we come to group number three. Those who were crucified with him also reviled. And this reviled is in the imperfect. So this is repeated as well. So all three groups of mocking were multiple times repeated all the way through. 
And this, this word for revile just means to, uh, to taunt, um, to, to deride. It's actually used later in Mark 16, maybe. I need Brandon's paper. Can you, can you get him to send me his paper? Awesome, thank you. Because we're looking over the edge of that conversation. And there's some data sets that I want to gather, and his is one. So, Yes. <laughs> and it's been published for six years. There you go. No, no. <laughs> so, so let's not miss that, you know, because we, 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 what we do a lot of times is we talk about the physical pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. And it was real, and it was significant, and it was horrible. But there was also this repeated emotional pain in the last few hours of his life from the mockery from the general public, from the religious elite, from the, the, the dudes up here with me. Like, you, you're not going to have a better day than I am, you know? This is not where this is going to end up. All right, so I, I want to make sure that we hit this. And what's one of the things I love about Mark's gospel is that he actually spends time on this. So let's keep, uh, let's keep going. Let's look at our application and personalization. Uh, then we'll ask our question, and I've got a, hopefully a short video to watch. So we'll see. All right, so application number one, uh, even in agony, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Even in agony, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. So what do we do with that? I would say believe his words, you know. On... On the worst, most painful day of his life, he was flawlessly obedient to the Father. Wow. What a Savior. Uh, Application number two, the cross was not a place of popularity. This is not where you went to go build your fan club, right? This is where your fan club dissipated and went away. The cross was not a place of popularity. So what do we do with that? Uh, follow our Lord Jesus Christ even when others mock. We are going to get to see in a couple of weeks the example of the women who were faithful at the cross. And it is just stunningly beautiful. It, a, apart from the sacrifice that Jesus makes in Mark 15, the second most beautiful thing in Mark 15 is the faithfulness of the women. It is just unbelievably stunning. So the cross was not a place of popularity, so let's follow our Lord Jesus Christ even when others mock. And number three, a victory doesn't always look like a victory. Because he was winning the day. (laughs) He was actually winning all the days in that day. So victory doesn't always look like a victory. So let's Galatians 6.14 this thing. Let's boast in the cross. Let's boast in the cross. All right, so our question that we ask each week, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? I get to take a drink. Yes, Dave?
most likely is the wrong yeah. question. Because they, they didn't see it at all that it was the wrong question. They were fully convinced. And just because someone has a lot of passion and a lot of bravado, you know, doesn't mean that what they're saying is true in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, we... Yeah, we, we get a lot of, uh, we get spun up sometimes and we want to die on a lot of hills. And it's probably good for us to remember that Jesus only died on one. Right. And that's right. probably the only one that's worth dying on. And that, you know, 31, 32, verse, or 31, 32 there, it looks a lot like social media. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Miss Bethany. Yeah, we'll actually, you know, Lord willing, we'll, we'll look at a couple of the reasons why they may have been silent, why they may have needed to be silent even, right? Lots of stuff going on. So what's God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Matt? That was not the answer, right? That was not the answer. Yes, ma'am. Pilate would think in a room of Christian young ladies who were wearing crosses around their necks, right? I mean, like, what? Wait, 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 wait. How did that happen? <laughs> like, well, actually, you played a part, buddy. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so I'll answer this question, and then we'll watch a video real quick. Uh, for me, 
what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far, uh, it, is, it is far less about my faithfulness and how much I am like Jesus, but how much I tend to be much more like the religious elite, like whispering and talking and this is not good. How much I tend to be like the, uh, the two robbers on the cross, uh, taunting somebody else in my own situation. But it's way, way, way more about Jesus Christ's faithfulness. So I want to show you something, and then I want to explain something, and then we'll go into our prayer time. So, Dave. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were going to get traded to heaven, what would you say? This is Alistair Beck, if you don't know who this is. If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. God wants the only proper answers in the third person, because he, because he, they think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, what you Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get a supervisor engine. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about? Let's just look at the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy just said, and eventually in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" Get ready. And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come.'" He said, you could come too. And it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing that in his moment of agony, he was purely and utterly faithful. For you, Miss Shanda. For you. 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 For me. And for all of you, he was utterly and completely faithful. What a Savior. What a Savior. There's a lot going on in Mark's gospel. It's a beautiful thing. All right, let's transition to our time of prayer. Oh, I almost forgot. This is what I have in my office behind me. Uh, it says the man on the middle cross said I could come. It's in my field of view for all of my uh, videos that I'm on, uh, conferences, video conferences. And every once in a while, somebody's like, who's the man on the middle cross? Like, well, thank you for asking. I appreciate you asking that question. <laughs> 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 okay, here we go. It's beautiful. 
All right, so if you would, take a couple of minutes, and let's uh, pray through our prayer requests. Make sure your name's at the bottom of the page. Uh, any updates that need to be made, please make those. Those of you online, if you have any prayer requests, please share those if you would. Um, pray for somebody, and then we get to go into worship. This one who said, I love you enough to go through all of this and fulfill all that the Father required, all of the prophecies, all of the wrath, all of everything so that we could be with him. What a Savior. What a Savior. All right, guys, thanks for coming today. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.